Welcome to Dram Talk. Pour a dram, take a seat, and let's talk whiskey. I'm Brad. And I'm Daniel. And I suppose, like, if there's ever a theme to today's episode, it's going to be two sides of the same coin. So, um, you know, we're talking light and dark, summer and winter, heads and tails. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to get um, the coin analogy but, in there, finish it out, round it out. Yeah, but I guess like this episode is kind of based around, you know, it's, it's June here now, so this will be our June episode and we've just had the winter solstice for us in the Southern Hemisphere. For our Northern Hemisphere listeners, it'll, or I guess for everyone in the Northern Hemisphere, <laughs> it'll be the <laughs> summer solstice. And to commemorate this occasion, I thought I'd I'd bring out two of my prized possessions, the um, Highland Park Light and the Highland Park Dark. Yeah, um, some pretty special whiskey on this episode. Again, special releases from Highland Park. We've tried these whiskeys before. A bit of a spoiler alert there. Peek behind the curtain. We've tried them before. Um, from what I remember, really enjoyed them and have been really eager to get them on an episode to kind of just have a chat about them and essentially see if was I in like a fog induced <laughs> state because of drinking too much whiskey and I'm, you know, I was clouding my judgment. But then uh, coming back now with a clear mind, clear mind, body, and soul. <laughs> clear mind, full heart. <laughs> <laughs> ready to tackle Highland Park light and Highland Park dark. So I think what better way to start an episode than to just jump straight in and have a dram. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like we have had quite a few episodes where we've been talking for half an hour, 40 minutes before actually getting into it. Keen to kick off an episode with it. Yeah. However, in saying that, I will give this dram a bit of an introduction. So we're looking at Highland Park, The Light. This is bottled at 52.9%. It's 17 years old. It's matured in refill American oak casks. And I guess it applies for both of them, but they are natural color. By natural color, natural cask driven color. So the light here, this is a celebration of spring and summer in Orkney. For the summer solstice on Orkney, which um, happened a couple of days ago, uh, the Ring of Brodgar is a stone circle where the sunrise and set a line through breaks in the hills with the standing stones. Now the celebration of the summer solstice takes place at this circle and where like during the summer in Orkney, the sun never quite sets. And I remember I was in Sky for, it would have been July. So, so a fair bit after the, um, I guess, peak of summer and the summer solstice. But I just remember there was a time, it would have been about like two or three in the morning and the sky was still like an eerie blue color. And so it wasn't, it never fully got to like night that yeah. far north. And that's just something that, that just really tripped me out because even like down here in Australia, like we still have like, you know, solid nights, even in the peak of summer. And I think you'd have yeah. to get like, there's very few places, at least in the Australia part of the Southern hemisphere. I feel like, you know, maybe in um South America, you can get like at a latitude so low that you would get like quite a um, extended period of daylight during the summer, but we don't really get that here. But I, so just experiencing that in, in Scotland was, was something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I know even when I went to England and that first kind of day or two after landing, suffering from jet lag and whatnot, <laughs> but then just kind of like essentially passing out in the hotel room from being so tired, <laughs> but then waking up at like nine thirty at night. Yeah. <laughs> and the sun was like still pretty much out 
And that was probably like it's the biggest just, trip. Like if <laughs> it's like a massive kick in the teeth. It's like you're so tired, but you can't sleep because it's just daylight for so long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just so so bizarre to me. Like essentially mm. waking up, seeing my phone, seeing it's like nine thirty at night, thinking far out. I was like, I've wasted a whole day, and like I'm not going to be able to go out and walk around. <laughs> and then like I kind of just like I was like, I'm like the curtain is like really weirdly still bright. In the hotel room mm-hmm. and then like, I just like pick the curtain I'm like why is the sun still out at 9 30 at night <laughs> uh, very weird but um again if anything made me a bit jealous yeah no for sure and I I remember something kind of similar happened in like looking at more than a decade back now but I went to um Ireland with some friends so so quite a fair way north and we went into a pub and this is like our first pub that we visited when we went to Ireland so we were like getting on the Guinness and all of the Irish beers we could try yeah. and then had to, and like we were in this pub for so long and we came out and it was still daylight and we were just like, Oh wow. We've still got like the whole day ahead of us. I feel like we we're in there for hours, but it was like 10 30 at night. And we're yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Actually there's, there's not many places open. That explains <laughs> yeah. why the place is so dead, even though it still looks like it's daytime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Such it's so weird. So bizarre. Especially like, like you said, coming from the Southern hemisphere in Australia, where you don't really experience that where I think the mm. max we get is maybe like 7.30 at night. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, whoa, the sun's out for an extra hour. Amazing. And then it's pitch black again. If anything, it's like a little less depressing kind of when you knock off work and you're like, oh, I still have a couple hours before it's complete yeah. darkness. Whereas in winter, it's like you knock off work and it's already pitch black. <laughs> Just finish your lunch break and the sun's setting. <laughs> and you're like, oh God, this is horrible. It's like I'm, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in four walls working, complete darkness, and then I leave into complete darkness. So it's, it's, it doesn't really inspire confidence and joy. But um, no. again, but whiskey does, that's and that's why we're exactly. here drinking whiskey. Exactly. <laughs> in, in the middle of our winter. Exactly. So yeah, back to the whiskey itself. The color, really nice gold color. Yeah. Really, really nice to look at, I'd say. And that probably leans into the packaging and the presentation of the whiskey, top notch, um, really, really up there. And again, that probably leans into the price point as well. Yeah. So this is an interesting thing. And I know for us here in Australia, I remember seeing these bottles go for about 300 yeah. to 500. Like, yeah. Sorry, by 300, I mean like at the very top of the threes to like yeah. the very high fours. Yeah. And... To be honest, like, looking at them, like, it, it's not really a surprise. The bottles are really nice. The packaging is really nice. It's quite, like, it's a wooden box, and it is quite solid and sturdy. Not to say that that's where all the money's going, but I'm saying, like, when you see it, you're kind of expecting it to be up there in price. Uh, full disclosure, I got my two bottles through um, connections we have to a distributor, so I got it at a heavily discounted price, which... Yeah. Um, was was very beneficial hence why i bought them but like honestly looking at them and after trying them i would not have hated to have paid full price for these no no and if anything i'm still kicking myself i didn't jump on that as well (laughs) knowing the opportunity was like presenting itself to me at the same time as well and i still didn't jump on it but again it's a story for another time but again like you said i don't think you'd be overly disappointed in outlaying the money on these presentation packaging wise, I know for like for all those listeners that don't open their whiskey and don't drink it, these are the statement pieces kind of on the shelf. They look good. They're not just in a cardboard box. It's a really, really good presentation. 
And again, you know it's Highland Park. They're going to lean into that Viking theme. I'd say yeah. these bottles probably lean more towards the mythology kind of side of things where it's leaning into the Ouroboros and the serpent biting its own tail. Yeah, and I know they've kind of specifically chosen that to rep- to like be also a visual representation of um, north and south, summer, yep. winter, this kind of dichotomy. And that's reflected on the box where, you know, if you've got it or you have a chance to look at a box, you'll see like at the very bottom of it, there's a um, circular symbol to, again, represent the sun. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, Highland Park, we've spoken about it before to no end where they do mm-hmm. marketing and they do it really well maybe sometimes too well where it's turning into a bit of a dare i say gimmick or maybe leaning a little too much into the viking theme but again we've mentioned we love vikings in general i love norse mythology in general so again this stuff kind of leans into my wheelhouse of things that i find interesting and i enjoy like we said colors beautiful the abv is at probably where i'm most comfortable and where i look to have dare I say like a sessionable dram it's around that 50 to 55 percent where it's a very good level where I'm getting you know maximum enjoyment yeah like I would 100 percent agree with that and I think it's also a thing that I I feel like is very um relative and situational like I find if there's been like a week or two where I've been off whiskey and then I come back and have a dram. If I try and jump back into where I'm most comfortable, it kind of like smacks you around the head a little bit. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. okay, yep. I need to kind of readjust myself. Yeah. Jumping back to this whiskey, the <laughs> the nose, very, very vibrant. So again, the theme that they're going for in terms of summer and kind of spring, it's, it's definitely there from the nose. Um, yeah, again, there's like lots a pop of, of life. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, like a woody element to it that yeah. borders on like trees and woody spices as well. Yeah, again, it's it's my one of my favorite woody notes where it's that American oak. Yeah, where it's that little bit of spice. Again, you see it in bourbon a lot, mm-hmm. and that's probably like one of my favorite notes in bourbon. That real woody spice. And this is here on the nose, and I really, really like that. Again, we should mention both these whiskeys are peated today. Yes. And the light, though, is lightly peated. So, haha, it goes with the theme. But <laughs> again, peat on the nose, I'd say it's not really there. Like, it's there in the sense of like a charred cask, as right. opposed to actual like peat when we're talking about like smoke yeah. or like um yeah this is this is vegetal a, peat it's not yeah. that it's it's a charred oak cask type of peat but yeah really really nice nose i really really enjoy this nose and again to kind of summarize it like you said you mentioned that wood spice the um i guess the the tropical fruits the zesty yeah. characteristic there as well from maybe some citrus but i think i'm getting a bit of orchard fruit as well i was gonna say orchard fruits is is where i'm picking it up but like green ones so yeah green apples pears like i've also got yeah bourbon in my mind too so the nutmeg and the vanilla are really coming out as well yeah again the nose for this so far right up my alley Oh, and I think I just want to... It just makes me really want to dive into the palette yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Let's do it. 
What I really like straight away on the palate, the oakiness and the spiciness really, really come forth. Mm-hmm. And as that kind of starts to dissipate, I get like a little bit of, I don't know, mango. Ah, uh, okay. Like, yep. And that's predominantly like the kind of tropical fruit note that I'm getting. Right mm-hmm. And then the peat is more smoky, not vegetal. Yeah. And it's just kind of really, really off in the distance. I'd say a decently long finish here with the more wood characteristic kind of just in the back of the throat. And that's kind of what's lingering for me. When you were saying that you were getting mango and like thinking of tropical fruits, um, I think melon was more of what was standing out for me, although I can see the association there with mango. And what it reminded me of was the Nicker coffee green, which I think Mm. has a very um, predominant note of rock melon. And I'm getting that here, but also with a touch of like honeydew as well. And so those melons Mm. um, really come out, but they also are just like, yeah, a component. Um, So not, not any kind of stronger or lesser than um, these like woody oaky notes, the, the peat that kind of seems to build and rise as, as it develops. And that, that leads into a, um, yeah, more of a spiced finish. Yeah. The, the spiciness is really good. And I think what this dram kind of does is it shows that again, with Highland Park, you typically tend to see Highland Park sherried and this is showing that you know it doesn't need to be because you're still getting that i guess that more darker spice note that you'd get from a sherry and i'm still finding that and being able to pick that apart in this dram and yeah i don't know again i really enjoy bourbon yeah and this is leaning towards a lot of characteristics that bourbon has predominantly more so on i guess the oak and the spice side things you're not necessarily picking mango in a lot of bourbon yeah i was gonna say the the point of divergence from bourbon would be in that fruity note mm -hmm. and in the peat too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah this dram is you know a very drinkable dram i don't feel the heat at all from the alcohol on this one and i'm really able to pick it apart and go yeah i'm really able to pick out I'm really able to pick out mango. I'm able to pick out the spices from the oak. I'm able to get the really, really like soft wisps of smoke from the peat. That's kind of just enveloping everything else that's happening around it. I can kind of see where you're going towards, I guess that melon note where it's like the meat. If I had to like really dig into it, it'd lean towards more of a rock melon. Yeah. But like I'm the the first thing that definitely hit me on the head was like just mango. Mango, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I mean, we'll, we'll chat a bit about the finish, but I'm gonna save some of this to do a direct comparison with our second yeah, gram. Likewise. <laughs> um, likewise. But yeah, the finish I find you know while the peat was doing good things, it seems to kind of you finish off with a taste like there's still the taste of fruits and spices as opposed to smoke so it's not a blow your palate out peter dram yeah again typically when this happens in a dram when it says it's petered and then this happens 
I knock it back quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. But because the spice, like the spice from the like the oak, is so good, mm-hmm. I can kind of forgive the peat being so. I guess mild or so like I can forgive the peat for leaving early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or whereas like typically that's something I'd never forgive. Yeah. <laughs> typically when it, when it's like a, peat a cardinal grade, sin. <laughs> yeah. When it's peated and the peat goes before everything else, I'm like, okay, cool. You're done. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> but here, the peat's done. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Here I'm kind of forgiving it because I'm getting something else. I'm getting the oaky spice and, I'm still getting a little bit of sweetness from maybe the vanilla kind yeah. of coming through. So it's the finish is still interesting enough without it. And again, it's still a very mouth coating. Yeah. And, really. and I was, I was going to say, I think it's, that also has like what plays a big part in that is that like kind of waxy nature of yeah. Highland Park, um, especially kind of the higher ABV Highland Parks. They do have this, yeah, really waxy, oily finish that does like keep the flavors there for a lot longer yeah so you know before we get into our topics for this evening i mean who's this dram for got anyone in mind any type of whiskey drinker in mind uh, honestly it's 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 hard to say because i could give the same answer for dark depending on <laughs> how <laughs> our revisit shapes my opinion but this is one i would pull out to impress someone like right if, if I wanted, if someone was like, you know, ah, oh, show me, give me one whiskey. Like, can you change my mind about whether whiskey's good? <laughs> or yep. like, um, you know, you just wanted to cap off a night or you wanted to bring out a showstopper or something to like make a statement. Like, this is what I would do. Like, not only does the packaging and the bottle um, give a huge first visual impression, but the taste of the whiskey really follows through with that and delivers on what the visuals offer you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd probably, like, I think that's really good, like, in terms of who you, this could kind of appeal to or who you could kind of use this whiskey for yeah. or present it to, right? Um, got to caveat that with, again, both these bottles, a release series of 28,000. And again, are these still readily available? Probably not. You're going to have to do a bit of digging to find a bottle. And again, you're probably going to have to pay a premium. So, you know, you got to keep that in mind with these two drums this uh, this episode. But yeah, this starting off, this is pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> All right, now I think some really pertinent topics to um, the drums we had today. Let's 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 have a quick chat about some things. These topics here, mixture of questions from people from our listeners, really mm-hmm. our audience, as well as from various forums that we respond to and everything online. First one for this episode, what's with chill filtering? Why don't people like it? Essentially, what's the go? Um, Look, some distilleries do it, not all. And basically, I think part of it as well, having been around whiskey a lot more, if you've been doing something for like over a hundred years and it works, why are you going to change it? Sort of thing, like... A lot of distilleries still produce incredibly beautiful spirit and it's still filtered. And then you're like, why don't they just unchill filter it and <laughs> don't do what people perceive as ruining the whiskey? But then it's, again, if you if you have this process and it's worked for that long, why risk changing it? And that's from kind of from like a, 
more of a business perspective and I can kind of understand it. And that's from, again, like I said, being in and around the people that make whiskey for us for a, a lengthy period of time compared to when we started the podcast and then where it's getting to speak to distillers as well and kind of see like, just because you're chill filter your product doesn't mean you're not passionate about it. You can still be passionate about it even if you do something that maybe the wider community perceives as, you know, sacrilege or whatever, right? Yeah, and I think it is it is important to note that, like, you know, when we're talking about wider communities, like, we're talking about the communities that are visible, that we're a part of, that we hear voices from. And in most cases, like, if you're going to be a member of, say, a whiskey community through social media or through... Um, tasting events or um whiskey like hosted shows from kind of higher corporations like you're going to be there with people who want to be there true and by that very nature they're people who are going to be a little bit more clued into a lot of the terms a lot of the um nuances from different whiskeys and you know everyone has different ideas everyone has different opinions but you'll find that ones that you often share, whether that be with these people around, like, not liking the process of chill filtering, like, as visible as that is, you're still only a subset because you're essentially already speaking to the choir there. Like, you're already preaching to the choir. Yeah. Like, you're, you're speaking with people who actively want to be there where there's, like, a whole subset, if not a majority of people who are purchasing these bottles who either don't know, don't care, or have their kind of loyal distillery they're going to stick with no matter what and um yeah to this to this degree like you have people who may not really notice care or even need to worry about whether or not their distillery is chill filtering if that's what they've been drinking and will continue to drink yeah and to kind of like tack on to that point right like you've been drinking something for the best part of your life it's your favorite dram mm-hmm. and then all of, and you on the bottle you know says chill filtered or in most cases they don't disclose it and then that kind of leans to yeah that, that's chill filtered but then all of a sudden you go to buy the next like it's like the next batch and then you see non-chill filtered you're kind of like huh why have they changed what they were doing before yeah so then so then that already kind like of they, they're, they're playing with mind. my product yeah <laughs> yeah then that puts something in your mind right you're like yeah. i really like this and then now you've changed what i like so again, I can kind of see it from both both sides. Again, yeah, from the absolutely. other side of it being where it's like, if you're going and saying, chill filtering is going and removing the fatty acids from the spirit, which essentially some people will connotate and link that to flavor. So you're essentially removing flavor and texture from the dram. But then if you think these distilleries have been doing it for hundreds of years in most cases, you probably know which chain acids you want to remove Mm-hmm. So you're probably selecting the ones essentially the ones. that you want to keep and the ones you want to remove. So in some instances, chill filtering isn't bad. Yeah. You know which exactly which exact acids you want to remove and what you want to keep. But then the other side, some people want to, the whole picture, I guess, from yeah. a dram. And then make that decision themselves. I can see both sides of it, why people don't like it and why some people might like it. But then again, it's... Again, like you said, it's probably very situational as well for like certain drams and distilleries. I can see both sides. I still prefer my drams non-chill filtered. Again, I don't know if that's just the the community member in me speaking up. 
Now, um, another one that we got here. Alternatives to scotch. For me, this one's like, I don't know, is it easy to say? I really like scotch. <laughs> Can you even say, you know, Australian whiskey is an alternative to scotch? Is that like a kind of like a cop-out? Because I feel like that's kind of a cop-out. I, I mean, without getting too uh, kind of philosophical or meta about this, like if someone's saying like, what's an alternative to scotch? Like, I feel like a lot of people use scotch synonymously with whiskey yeah. so what's an alternative to whiskey like you do if you like whiskey like like if you're wanting something different where do you as a whiskey drinker go to which is kind of like where i went with this question yeah. but i get that some people may be like oh yeah you know like scotch is all you hear about like i want to know what other kind like what is a whiskey out there different enough to scotch yeah. that is worth trying and the first thing that originally came to my mind was bourbon yeah i think that is a good alternative because the amount of people that I have surprised with quality bourbon because for most of like people I know who think of bourbon they think of the stuff that you mix with coke and that's all you drink it with because it can't be drunk straight but as we have discussed plenty of times and as I'm sure majority of our listeners would know like there is like kind of an entire world of bourbon that is almost as deep and as rich as that of um, Scotch whiskey, particularly that is worth exploring to the point where like you probably don't have enough money to try every single different variation they offer out there. So bourbon was where I jumped to initially. Um, The problems I would say with that, aside from just, assuming that either people already know or it's they have such bad experiences with it in the past they're not willing to try and get back into it again um australian whiskey is a good one i think that there's like a core difference to australian whiskey that really does separate it from scotch but i think similarly you could have barriers to people wanting to try it either because they're not in australia or don't have access to yep. the variety <laughs> they have <laughs> or if they are in australia they're they're um got their nose out of joint at the um 500 mil bottlings that you see as well as the price now that's not that's not a blanket statement about all australian whiskey because we do have the standard bottling sizes of 700 mils as well and you can find the price scale but um i find when people are objecting to it they often latch on to certain points like this and use it as reasons for not um allowing that door to be opened for them so then you know what what alternatives would i offer now i think there's there's a decent realm to be discovered in like the grain whiskey space yeah but then you know if we're wanting to get whiskey adjacent i guess my next bet would be to head towards rum yeah and again i like my aussie whiskey is kind of a bit of a cop out (laughs) to see what you say to that but again your where you went first is where i went first as well bourbon Mm. it's I think a good place to kind of venture off into if you're kind of trying to think of where do I go to next? Yeah. Mainly because, again, a lot of the oak casks that the Scotch you know and love is aged in comes from bourbon. Bourbon. Mm-hmm. It opens up a whole other flavor profile that you just don't get in Scotch. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's probably absolutely. just the kind of whiskey geeks or whatever that we are where it's like, oh, a whole new realm of flavor to kind of play in and kind of pick apart and dig into bourbon's got a lot of its merit there as well and again i've had a lot of um 
other people mentioned it to me to say where it's if you really like peated whiskey you might want to dive into mezcal i'm yet to do so uh, yeah. mm-hmm. because i'm trying to think of the right mezcals to jump into so if you've got any ideas let me know yeah i i would definitely be keen to join you on that journey as well because <laughs> that sounds very interesting but i suppose alongside this point we've both had many nights sharing grams and we yep. have both had many nights where we have had our individual friends around to, try to like do some whiskey tasting so how easy have you found it to get people to join you in drinking scotch like do many people come over knowing you have a plethora of whiskey to try or is it a are you being the the door-to-door salesman of whiskey (laughs) (laughs) um it's very different i guess compared to you know two years ago or three years ago Mm -hmm. like all my friends know i have a whiskey podcast fairly active in the whiskey community and there it's they're, they're like no where it's like oh okay they come over they're like oh what new bottles have you got yeah anything interesting that you think we should try or anything you have that would be different to what we normally drink again none of my wider friend circle are avid whiskey drinkers like you and myself so how easy is it to get i find that it's actually pretty easy because a lot of people are actually interested mm-hmm. because a lot of people typically have such a poor experience with whiskey and scotch in general right because they're or even just like a distant perspective like it's always something that these kind of people drink yeah or it's even just the idea of like you couldn't fathom drinking something over 40 percent yeah and it being enjoyable and that's because you wouldn't i guess from someone new to its perspective they wouldn't know where to start yeah so how easy it has been, I think it's been incredibly easy. <laughs> yeah. I think the tendency, I think I do seem to forget sometimes that some of these people don't have the same palette. So when I give them like, for example, like a Balvenie Doublewood, to me, that's an incredibly easy to drink dram. Yeah. And one that's really, really enjoyable, really showcases Speyside. But then someone who doesn't drink scotch the spice probably blows their palate out <laughs> from the oak from the oak barrels right so i find that yeah that's probably what i tend to forget in some instances yeah like in a similar vein i've had the same kind of thing where like you don't really have to twist people's arms no, to be able to give them good to <laughs> borderline expensive alcohol yeah i have found that i fall into the same trap and i think it's, it comes from having poor quality whiskies and then experiencing a really good one either because it's at a higher abv where that a lot of the flavors and like elements of that whiskey really get to shine but forgetting that like i've had this whole history of these seven other whiskies that i've tried in my recent history that's put that into context and then if i was to just go to someone who isn't used to drinking spirits neat like that and give them this one because i know how good it is it's only really that good to me because I've just got all these experiences to compare it to. But if that person has nothing to compare it to but beer, wine, or um, like pre-mixed drinks, it's going to be a very different experience for them. Yeah, 100%. Yes, I think like choosing the whiskeys I provide to people is one of the biggest and almost make or break kind of things. Like you could have 
times where people are like, and that was a fun idea, but I was not prepared for that experience. <laughs> that was a fun idea, but maybe not next time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring, I'll bring my six pack of cider over. <laughs> but yeah, and this next kind of topic here, our last one for the episode, but it probably ties into this one as well. Like, is a blend like Johnny Walker Red a good place to start? Like direct and honest answer? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 like... Do you want the long answer or the short answer? Yeah. <laughs> and the long answer and the short answer are probably the same. Yeah, just no vinegar um, around the bush, just no. <laughs> like, I, I know a lot of people like to give shit to it, but I don't think it's misplaced or misdirected. Yeah, no, um, no, no. I think there are some very decent Johnny Walkers, but then you're kind of getting out of the point of why you would start with Johnny Walker Red, which is its price point. I think there are a bunch of other blends that you could jump in at. and. Yep readily available quite popular but another one that stands out to me is monkey shoulder like i've been surprised by monkey shoulder yeah no 100 percent. i agree with you on that like wholeheartedly where it's if someone came to me and said this like like to my face because <laughs> <laughs> like someone has said it like online but if they were in front of me i'd say go to monkey shoulder instead mm-hmm. at least do that like yeah because at the end of the day, look, Johnny Walker Red has its place. And its place is not in my glass. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Its place is not neat. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm fairly comfortable in saying that its place isn't to be your starting point. No. Like if you're adamant on starting with a Johnny Walker, because, you know, I've seen people say, you know, I want to start with Johnny Walker. Their, their stable has a lot of really good distilleries and a lot of good distilleries make up. The, the blend so I want to start there I'd be pushing them more towards black or green yeah and for me red is essentially just at the mixer in some instances like we've said you know Johnny Walker does a lot of heavy lifting for a lot yeah. of the other distilleries in their stable that they have um, but yeah no not a good place to start <laughs> and it's not a good place to finish either really <laughs> um, but then if you're if you're not adamant on Johnny Walker and you're happy to kind of pick another blend monkey shoulder yeah because the price point very close to Johnny Walker red in Australia anyway and um yeah it's, it's, it's just a, a better experience <laughs> just a better experience really and one that will probably keep you drinking whiskey because that's what we want to do at the end of the day <laughs> yeah speaking of keeping drinking whiskey let's jump on to our second dram so we're looking at the Highland Park diet <laughs> we're looking at the Highland Park Dark. Sorry, I really had to enunciate that because I feel like I just merged dark and light in the same way. Um, I haven't only had half of the light as well. So, anyway, this is fifty-two point nine percent and seventeen years old. So, same same percentage, same age. I think one of the biggest differences is that it's been matured exclusively in sherry seasoned oak casks. Now, this release is to celebrate autumn and winter in On Orkney, so a direct um, contrast to the light. The law, the ideas behind this, this dram itself is um, make sure a Neolithic burial chamber, which is nearly 5,000 years old, um, located on Orkney, um, is a significant location for the winter solstice the only time during the year where the dying rays of the setting sun perfectly align with the entrance of that chamber. So really just kind of bringing to the forefront of like 
Norse mythology, the significance of the places on Orkney and of this time of the year. It's where the light reaches these places that are permanently shrouded in darkness. And this whiskey is just kind of one to be shared with friends, family, inside, staying warm, enduring the, the cold and dark, and just enjoy it with friends and family. Now, let's jump on to, to the notes. Yeah, I mean, first thing, colour, amber, as opposed oh, to man. the golden colour that we saw in light. Again, I, I was actually interested as well when we were kind of putting together our episode plan today when I had a look and I was like, dark was at 52.9%, it's the same. Like in my mind, I just always assumed dark had a higher ABV. <laughs> and I think what I probably was getting confused with that, you know, I think dark is probably a bit more peated compared to the light. Yeah. Um, that's probably what I was getting confused with there. Again, on the nose, the peat, not overly present, very soft. But at least it's there, because I, I couldn't really get it at all in the light. Yeah. And, I mean, not to... Like, this is not meant to be um, any kind of shot on the whiskey, but the nose is kind of exactly what you'd expect from a sherry cask. Like, getting those dried fruits, getting that not overly sweet, but definitely a syrupy note to it as well. Dark stone fruits, particularly. I'm thinking, like, plums, cherries, um, and then alongside the touch of peat as well. Yeah. Yeah, for me, definitely that cherry is more like a glazed cherry. Mm-hmm. Really great nose. Again, I, I tend to like... I don't know. I don't know if I like sherried whiskey more or if I like bourbon barrel more. I, I don't know. But it, it, it fluctuates. Yeah. Like like the title of the episode, Two Sides of the Same Coin. <laughs> it's a flip of a coin, really. We want to like more. I do recall the first time we had these drams. If anything, the only thing I can remember from that walking away from it is that I enjoyed the dark more than the light. Mm. However marginal that was. Yeah. It was just, it beat it by like, you know, by like a, th- a thin margin or like a hair. But. And I think again, interestingly enough, I was probably the same um, perspective just on the light side. So <laughs> um, two yeah. sides of the same coin wrapping in the pod. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Very, very thought through. <laughs> not at all off the cuff yeah. <laughs> so um nose is really really good i don't think there's much more i can pull from it no yeah just jumped on the palate and kind of like you still got that sweetness that syrupy sherried sweetness but you get hit with the bitter coffee beans the um slightly tart tangy orange and then the creamy almost meaty chestnuts with that toasted character to it just i mean a great winter whiskey yeah look for me you definitely get hits of cinnamon and not only that but the smoke is a lot more present again not necessarily vegetal peat in that sense but yeah the smoke is definitely more present compared to the light no doubt about it and then, like, as it kind of leads into the finish, the spice is, like, still really strong. It's, like, baking spice, really pushing that note and characteristic forward. And then as the fruits kind of start to play out, get a bit of fig as well, kind of coming out in the dram. So, yeah, really well-rounded. And in terms of what I'm looking for in a dram, it, it ticks a lot of boxes, really. And... Yeah, I don't know if it's just the 
the strong baking spice note. That's just so good. And it's one that we talk like to no ends about when it comes to sherried whiskeys. And when whenever it's present, we're always like, oh man, it's a really, really good sherry dram. And then when it kind of, when, you put, when you're putting everything together, like you pick everything apart and then you start to reassemble everything. It's a bit more like a fruitcake. And the difference here, when we were kind of going through where light is so vibrant, like exuberant, almost like youthful, Mm-hmm. A little more exuberant, a little more <laughs> jumpy, a little more uh, zesty and everything. Which, again, leading to this one where it's like, yeah, this is a lot more refined. This is a lot more... It feels a lot more exact in what he's trying to do. Like if like if confidence was a dram. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like that's what this dram would be. Like it's very confident. It knows what it's trying to do. And it yeah. executes really well. Um, so, and I think that kind of leads into, you know, like just Highland Park doing what they do best, which is just sherried Highland Park. And this is that like in spades and it knocks it out of the park. It really does. Again, this doesn't knock light in any way because light is a really, really good dram and I really do enjoy light, but man, it's just, this ticks all the notes I want from Highland Park. Yeah, like, I understand what you're saying, and I think it's very hard to dispute or disagree with any of those points. I think where I diverged in my, um, like, outlook towards both of them, it is, it's a very deep, rich, confident, well-distinguished, sherried whiskey, but what differentiate from, differentiates it from light is, like, there's no mistaking it's a sherried whiskey. So yeah. I would have to feel like a sherried whiskey to drink dark. Not that I say like yeah. I could, because I love sherried whiskey, so I could drink a sherried whiskey anytime and really enjoy it. But um, I would reach this bottle if I was like really craving that kind of sherry yeah. cask whiskey. Whereas light for me is, is just like a quality whiskey that I could enjoy at any time. So I would just grab that bottle and regardless of what I'm feeling, it's going to hit some kind of note to make me go like, yes, this is what I was after in reaching for, albeit a particularly special kind of dram because I don't regularly pull myself a dram of this just because I want as many people to taste it as possible. So I'd like to hold on to it for as long as possible. You know, I get what you're saying because at the end of the day, um, I think I could probably always reach for a sherry dram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then there's also like that kind of caveat where it's there are probably some days where you're like uh, I, I don't know or I'm not looking forward to tackling the baking spice and ginger <laughs> and all of that um, then yeah whereas like you know a good bourbon cask is just like so easy to it's like all reliable yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're just like yeah cool comfortable know what I'm gonna get and it's gonna be pretty straightforward um this one though, it's just it's just Highland Park. Like they're like in their bag. They know exactly what they're doing. They're just executing on like everything that you want from a Highland Park dream. Oh yeah. And like even just sipping these side by side, as different as they are, trying them right next to each other, they they really are just two sides of the same coin. They just work so well together and jumping back to the la to the light. 
after having a sherry whiskey, like it's amazing how much of that flavor still is able to shine through. But in saying that though, like the dark finish is what you're going to be left with. <laughs> yeah. That, I think that's kind of the differentiating point where I think it's probably why dark left the most impression because when you drink them side by side, you're able to kind of pull apart like the innate kind of Highland Park DNA. Yep. You can call it that. Like you're still able to have a pretty good experience. Mm-hmm. One's not necessarily overpowering the other yeah. until the finish, that is. Until the finish. Really, that's that's like the main <laughs> differentiating point there. All right. So I guess just to wrap this up, you'll have to jump in on this one and say who who is this one for, Brad? Who is Dark for? So I think Dark is for someone who really, really loves Highland Park. And yeah, look, if you want essentially what the 18 probably should have been on the cast strength dram, Dark is, it's so, so good and it's right up your alley. So yeah, I think we've gone over a fair few good topics really. And I think the topics really did present two sides of a coin. You know, there, there was two different sides on more or less all the topics we spoke about today yeah. you know, one end of the spectrum compared to the other end of the spectrum so yeah we're really on theme today very <laughs> very doesn't always happen but when it happens it's it's really really great um <laughs> so yeah that's probably all we have time for today so again you can always reach us at dramtalk.au at gmail.com or you can slide into the DMs at Dram Talk Podcast on Instagram. We always love to hear from you. Throw us a couple more topics. Or at the very least, recommend the Dram. We're always looking for the next best thing to drink. But yeah, as always, our glasses may be empty, but we hope yours aren't. And if they are, pour another Dram! dram!